I am Ira Kirschenbaum. I am the uh, editor of the Journal of Orthopedic Experience and Innovation. This is a very special journal night. Um, we have uh, what I consider an all-star guest of an all-star joint, the shoulder. Um, and I'm going to uh, allow Scott, whose case this was originally, to uh, lead this off and begin the discussion about um, the treatment of type two uh, tears in, in rotator cuff using biocomposites and biologics. Scott, it's all yours now. Okay, thanks, Ira. Appreciate it very much. So I figured what we do is just start off and I'd go through the case. Uh, so remind everybody what it's all about. And then we can do the good, the bad, the ugly on uh, augmentation and biologic scaffolds and just open it up to the floor and just have a conversation and see where we're going. So this was a 57-year-old woman uh, who I had known for quite some time on the opposite shoulder, which was her left shoulder. She had a rotator cuff tear, which I elected uh, big surprise to use a Regenitin implant uh, for her. And she was one of the villonodular synovitis uh, patients and developed a significant reaction. I uh, wound up having to take her back to the operating room for a washout irrigation debridement. She wound up doing okay. And then she came to me about 10 months later after an injury and it hurt her right shoulder, which was the opposite shoulder. Uh, so I was uh, definitely still believing in augments, but did not feel that I was very comfortable doing another Regenitin, given the fact that she had a villanodular synovitis on the opposite side. So I was like, all right, let me still do something to augment because I'm a big believer. Remember, everybody that's not speaking, because we're getting a little bit of feedback, please. Um, and so uh, at the moment, uh, BioBrace didn't exist. So I went with Dermis on Demand uh, with the concept and the idea to augment uh, uh, this repair to hopefully get a good result. Uh, and then uh, basically about uh, six months after her surgery, she came back in with increasing uh, pain once again, and uh, she had failed my dermis on demand uh, repair. This is an otherwise healthy woman, uh, does not smoke, no diabetes, no other comorbidities. Uh, so at that point, as usual in my life, David Hook winds up giving me a call with his new job, which happens routinely and says, Siggy, uh, I got this new thing. You know, what do you think? You want to give it a try? So Literally, this was the first patient I had tried it on and uh, has had a nice conversation with the patient. We decided that this was what she uh, wanted to do, took her in, and we did a, uh, a revision repair of a type 2 rotator cuff uh, with this BioBrace implant as an augmentation. Uh, we then followed her serially, uh, uh, both with MRIs uh, as well as clinically. Um, she, did, uh, she did pretty well. We got an MRI at three months, which looked pretty good. Got an MRI at six months, which looked pretty good. And then she was having some anterior bicipital shoulder pain. So I felt that that was a, a excellent opportunity uh, to potentially take another look, which is what we did. So with 10 months back in and again, had the opportunity you can see here. Thank you, Ira. Here's our intraoperative pictures and uh, uh, photo B. You can see that again, there's a real integration of the, of the implant at this point. Again, guys, we're getting a lot of feedback. So if you're not talking, please go to mute. Um, and so uh, you can see here, there was really nice incorporation. The full thickness rotator cuff tear uh, had created some uh, 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 growth down onto the footprint that you can see here, there was a loose suture, but at the end of the day, this repair had really gone on uh, to heal. So all of her, if you can scroll down a little bit further for me, Ira, we'll show her outcome uh, measures as well, which significantly improved uh, as far as ASCS scores preoperatively in at one year. And then uh, you can see below as you keep coming down, VAS, ASCS, and SANE scores all improved. 
So overall, this was a happy patient and uh, first time I had used this and, and that was it. So now probably up to about 75 patients uh, that I've used this, in, uh, this, this Augment for with uh, uh, very good results. And I think we should just sort of open it up to the floor at this point and just have a conversation as to what people are thinking. Are you liking skin? Are you liking collagen? Do you like collagen with other stuff in it? You know, where are we going on this? You're putting it on top, you're putting it below. There's so many things. It seems like every other day now, another company is coming out with another augment when it comes to rotator cuff repair. I mean, Scott, I can open it up if you'd like. Yeah, whatever, go. Yeah, uh, very simple, uh, very similar experience. Uh, had another orthopedic surgeon who uh, came to me uh, with a really bad uh, tear of his subscap, super infra, uh, retracted level of the uh, glenoid. Uh, what was interesting about our pre-op convo was it was like going to the Porsche dealer. He said, hey, I want uh, this, I want this, I want PRP. And he goes, I want you to use this new thing called BioBrace. And I go, well, you know, I've levied heavily on acellular dermis for most of my augmentation uh, in the past. And I don't know much about it. Uh, learned a little bit more about it. And uh, so we ended up doing a uh, an augmentation called Rhodium on the base. Uh, it was a tendon bone interface. Uh, did a four anchor, uh, triple loaded, single row, 24 suture repair, uh, and then augmented with BioBrace on top along with the subscap and biceps repair. And I went golfing with him five months post-op and he drove the ball about 300 yards. Uh, out drove me consistently. And it was a remarkable recovery because he had little to no pain. I'm probably in the 45 to 50 range in terms of these. I've used them on cuff. I've used them on glute and I've used them on um, uh, hamstring as well for one isolated patient. And for whatever reason, we need the data. That's the big thing. We need the data. But it seems to be working really well and seems to be uh, at equivalency, if not a little bit better than dermis at this point. I'd like to congratulate you on being the most expensive orthopedic surgeon in the United States for that construct. So, uh, but no, great story. Thanks for sharing. But Jovan did get a free round at NCR in Dayton. And I will corroborate because I did play in that foursome that he did hit it pretty long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he had no pain. And so he, this particular surgeon reached out to me and said that Jovan was going to do the surgery. And I said, is he going to use this? And that's where I think the education came from, which is great because I think as colleagues, we need to make sure that each of us is using what would be the best product for each individual patient. And so I do like the sandwich that Jovan made. I think he did something on top to give structure. I think he put something on the bottom to give healing. And so this particular surgeon did very well and is very appreciative. Good. How about let's go to let's go to Texas. Donnie Buford, what's your experience? What are you doing these days? So I'm using um, the uh, the BioBrace implant. I've, I've been using dermal graft before that, just because I wanted something that had some some strength to it at time zero. And so I've done a, a ton of, of of aloe patch type of graft. And those of you that have used that product are familiar, you know, you have handling characteristics that are sometimes difficult to manage. Um, although it will hold a suture, it is not easy to suture. And then suture management always becomes a problem when you're using it in that kind of online technique. So I was always on the lookout for something that was easier to use, um, but that had some strength at time zero that I could suture. And so having a collagen plus PLLA type of implant seemed to seem to fit that bill initially. And Hearing some of the reports, like from Jovan and, and Sharif, 
made me want to jump in um, rather early in the process as well. So I've used it for cuffs on leg <clears throat> and used it for hamstring ACL as well with similar good results. I mean, it's one of those products that the, the animal histology and the animal results are being matched at least at this early stage by the human results. So I think we're getting good incorporation. I think we're getting tissue that's certainly no worse than without the graft. I think it's arguably better. And, and, you know, I don't have any that are two years out to see if it really all goes away, but we're following with uh, serial ultrasounds to watch that process. You throwing in any uh, orthobiologics that's soaking up in that biobrace implant, Donnie? Yeah. So the biobrace is, is uh, like a little sponge, right? It'll absorb anything from suture marker to, <laughs> to, um, to, uh, to an orthobiologic. And so, you know, really it's the same patient population that we're considering for augmenting. That's the same population that we probably ought to consider for biologic augmentation as well. So uh, whether it's PRP, which, you know, more and more studies are showing can decrease revision rate and give better tissue quality or bone marrow concentrate, which I think is where the answer is ultimately going to be. Um, I, I, these are all perfect discussions to have with that same patient, in my opinion. I, I augment biologically as many as I can. Scotty, uh, Omar asked a question, if you can see in the, the chat about um, this patient. So your patient in this uh, study that we wrote up um, had a Quan score of eight out of 15, right, which is very high risk for retear. The Quan score is actually what I use in my dictation. So whenever I'm putting, you know, preoperatively, I'm seeing someone, I talk about the need for potential augmentation for the case. I'll put the score in there and I'll say, I'm, I'm planning on doing some sort of augmentation. And then in my operative note, I'll, I'll mention that in my you know, sort of my pre my pre little spiel that the, uh, this was the MRI, these were the findings, this was the score, uh, decision was made to augment, and then I verify that. So I, I think doing that helps us get, you know, reimbursement levels of playing field for what's ideal. But the next question he asks is, you know, if we had someone with a lower score, would we still think about doing it? And, and in my case, I'm very much about what the tissue looks like and evaluating the patient as a whole. So if they got poor protoplasm, if, if they're a smoker, if they have really thin tissue or the tear is chronic, I'm augmenting almost almost routinely now. Uh, and that's just a confidence thing that I think most of us have gone through from Regenitin to Biobrace, you know, in, in our algorithm of, you know, how can we make tendons heal better? Uh, and there was a paper that just came out from Lou McIntyre looking at augmentation uh, and the cost associated. And I think it is cost effective in patients that are you know, medium to high risk to to augment because, you know, we, we know that failures are catastrophic financially and personally, and, you know, that's something we need to avoid. So Anand had a, a good question. I'm going to throw it actually out to, to Ron Navarro, West Coast as a Kaiser, who I think probably has some more cost controls and some ideas and thoughts, but what are your, what's happening at Kaiser when it comes to these types of augments and your ability to use what you want to use? We interestingly and surprisingly uh, approved Regenitin uh, a couple of years ago for use uh, with um, our shoulder surgeon subset. And while we haven't published the results, we've kind of done a safe, uh, a safety analysis of the uh, early results just in terms of uh, take backs as well as uh, untoward outcomes with regards specifically to the graft. And it's been a very low amount of of, of problems, almost none really. And uh, so that was encouraging um, our utilization of, of the Regenitin because we got, you know, we did a pretty good um, contract for it has been mild 
to moderate, you know, Sean says on, on every um, case. And so it's, it's probably less than 15% of our cuffs. So a very different phenomenon. And maybe that's just some of our docs being cost conscious and hopefully us getting to our patients early, but still uh, um, uh, jury's out. And we're not as far along as others on some of these other uh, devices. Uh, lastly, the BioBrace, we're actually looking and working with Kevin Rocco and others uh, to look at uh, bringing it into the system. So, so let me throw something out. So I own, a, I'm an owner of an ASC. And what I found is that the, the ownership of my ASC could care less about long-term results. Uh, they want to know what's it going to cost for this implant for this patient. So what's the experience out there for trying to do these types of implants at ASCs? Are you able to get it through? Are there carve outs? You know, what's the experience been on the practicality of using this? Anyone? Yeah. I'll jump yeah, I think in. The, the I'll challenge ahead. is, sorry, that the challenge is, is that, you know, there's no additional code for it. And so that becomes a, a, a challenge. However, what I will say, and so I've used BioBrace in a lot of shoulders. I've got another one coming up. I've also used it in also a lot of ACLs and also in ulnocleidal ligaments and, and for the elbow and Achilles tendon and the ankle. And, and what we know that if you look at other options and what we, we can talk about ACLs, for instance, you know, if, if your other option is uh, to do an allograft, BioBrace is much more cost effective. So when I've had to augment an ACL, they applaud me because in their mind, I'm actually saving them money. We've done an awful lot of them and these patients have done very well. The fact that it's on the back table, you can use it when you need to use it. And, you know, it's not something that you have to pre-order or make certain you have the allograft in the freezer and you're opening it up makes it much easier as well. So uh, I have not gotten any pushback on it whatsoever. We've been able to use it at the hospital system as well. Uh, you know, my experience, I've got more of, of the elbows and the ACLs and shoulders and a couple of Achilles tendons. Uh, the, the challenge has been, you know, making certain that wherever you are, you can still, you know, use it. And, and the hospital system has been a little bit more challenging actually than the ASC. Sharif and then Mike. Sharif and then Alejandro. I'm sorry, Anand first, Sharif and then Alejandro. I was just going to say, it's interesting when you talk to surgeons, if cost was not an option, I think you'd use it many times or most of the time. So, you know, that's the difficult part, you know, is that we're trying to get the best result and some things that we haven't answered all the questions because we need more numbers. But I think most surgeons, if they had a poor host or revision, would want to use it. But cost is always in the back of our mind, too, like, you know, in a physician-owned ASC and things like that. And I, I agree 100 percent. I mean, I think there is a there's a component of cost. But at the same time, if you look at cost of failure, it's significantly higher. And I think there is something to be said about the strength of this and the wicking properties of BioBrace that hold that biology in place to help it heal. I think it gives time zero strength. I I, I agree and on that there is definitely the worry um, of the cost. Unfortunately, at least in Michigan, I can't use an implant code like the 15777, which I see just put up in the chat. And, and it's not considered truly an implant. So this is coming out of my costs. So I got to make sure that it, it fits. And if it doesn't, I'll take it to the hospital and I'll make it their problem, which it's already approved. Now, does it make it a little bit more inconvenient? Sure. But at the same time, I think it's the right thing for the patient because the last thing we want to do is keep doing these 
And we went from saying that everything heals to it maybe heals to now we're at 50% failure rate, all comers. So when you look at something like this, and Sean and I are about to uh, present an abstract, we're going to put it together. I think we have a meeting tomorrow with over 140 patients with it, with BioBrace. So we're taking all comers and seeing how it goes. We don't even know what the numbers look like, but at least we'll have some real data to point it out. I wanted to share my screen for just one second about a case yeah. I did on a reverse. Um, and so this is a seven-year retrieval of an SCR graft. And that's what it looks like after, you know, to go to reverse. Guess what? It's still skin seven years later. So there's no new, no vascularization that's calcified and it's still skin. So it's what we knew. I think it's antiquated as the way to fix it. I think that we need to use new technologies such as BioBrace. So it's something to be said about what we need to look forward to and how we all need to work together to come up with good studies to see how this really works and with what you know other adjunct, uh, like what Donnie uses with like BMAC and whatnot. Sharif, oh. it's, it's, Paul, it's Paul Seth. I have a question for you. So yeah. with you and Sean, you have, a, you have a, a large series of cases. Can you tell me how you're indicating it? Is this for partials? Is it for a cuff at risk? Is it for a Rohi 7? So I think that's a great question. So my algorithm, if it's a partial, I'll still use Regenitin. I have one in my own right shoulder. It worked great. So the if I need strength because of thin tissue or a smoker or, uh, you know, they all tell you they quit, they don't. Hypothyroid, you know, risk, you know, cuff at risk, that's going to be a bio brace. I need some strength. Um, and then I think if I have a good tendon, but I just maybe want to promote some healing, I might do something under with an interpositional allograft like uh like rhodium so that's my personal algorithm i'm i'm far to the right on this where i will do probably 75 percent of my cases will be augmented yeah so i'm a little less than 75 percent, but i have a very similar algorithm and i mentioned earlier paul that i, I put in my notes all the risk factors the quant score if i can get it uh so that way i feel like i'm i have a leg to stand on so if someone says why are you doing this i i say it's for the you know, for the benefit of the patient. So if it's a young, healthy cup that's acute, I'm not doing it. But it's someone that has a risk factor. And Lord knows in Jersey, a lot of people have risk factors. You know, we're doing it. My partials still get Regenitens, um, just because, again, same experience, uh, easy to insert and do. Uh, but the folds, I, I like I like putting my sutures for the cuff through the, the BioBrace afterwards. So it acts like a rebarb. So I'm using full advantage of that BioBrace strength as well as the induction. And that's what separates it from some of the other in bioinductive implants that are out there, I can use it like a really thick sort of stake to augment and prevent my sutures from ripping out. And we know that from some of the you know data that's been out there, this will retain strength for up to two years. It, it's a linear regression over time, but you know we know there's strength that's maintained uh, and mass that's maintained as well. So I think that's important as the collagen grows in and fills in some of that defect. Alejandro. Using it for partials. Good. So, sorry, Mike, Adam. Well, you do whatever you want, Doctor Rebel. You're, you're, I said, you're Sean, did you, you stop using it for partials? Because I know you presented that at one point, which yeah, is, is not so one I, of the indications I, I would use it. Yep. So if I got a really high grade partial, Mike, I'm talking like I should probably take this down, but I know if I do, I'm going to change them. Think like that. You know, the ones I've shown, they're like late 30s, early 40s. You know, they still play tennis, all sorts of stuff there. And I'm worried about it. I think the BioBrace adds a little more strength and thickness. So I'll, I'll do it's a, a partial technique. It takes a little more time, not going to lie. Um, but if I got, you know, just one of those ones that I'm looking at, it's like, eh, 
on the fence, 50, 60% torn, I'll do their genitin. But if I got a real high grade and I'm in a big athlete or someone who's still being active, I'll put the pile brace over for the partials. Yeah, Lisa Donnelly, you're going to work on something for the partials, right? It's a little clunky to do it for partials. Back to the lab, Lisa. All right, Alejandro, you've had your hand up for a while. What do you got? Yeah, um, well, now now I want to echo what Sharif said. Uh, I also have a regenitin in my right shoulder, uh, but I will say I don't certainly don't use it for three quarters. I use it for a lot of the partials. I find it easier to uh, work with than the uh, the bio brace. The bio brace is a little bit trickier, so I use that more when I need strength. So my orthopedic surgeon I did uh, a couple of years ago failed, I remember, because he was feeling so good after a double row with Regenitin that about five weeks he was going back. He's a big weightlifter, older man, and uh, and he failed. So I, I think that I, I use this depending on the uh, the indication of strength. But certainly the uh, Regenitin for me has, has been a uh, game changer. And as soon as I get back from Africa, uh, I got the left side. I'm going to get done. So I, I've been very happy with this fortune. I'm at only at an ASC. Cost has not been an issue, thank God. And I like what Patrick said, that I think all of you know I'm not fond of insurance companies. So I want to do what's best for the patient. And uh, hopefully if we all band together, uh, the restrictions will be uh, removed because it's a lot more expensive to revise them, right? I think we all agree. And I think there's a component. I want to be careful with the 75% that, you know, look where I live in Detroit. I have a larger, fatter population, which is unhealthy, that is osteoporotic with vitamin D deficiency, most likely hypercholesterolemia and likely smokers. And I have a high diabetic population. So I have all these risk factors coming into each one of these. And therefore, that's why I do it. Maybe living in Southern California, they're getting, or in Miami, they're getting vitamin D. That takes that off the table. So maybe that's why Kaiser doesn't need it as much. <laughs> Sigmund, can I make a comment on, on glute repair? Sure. Jovan, go. Yeah. So, you know, I think I learned a very hard lesson uh, because I do cuff and hip. Uh, and I will tell you that, that my primary repairs uh, of glute tendons failed uh, about 38% of the time. And the, the hard lesson that I learned is that the rotator cuff and the gluteal tendons are two very different creatures. And we don't walk on our rotator cuff, but we do walk on our gluteal tendons. And I got more aggressive about augmenting uh, gluteal tendons that I did with cuff. Uh, I would agree with what Sean said. I would agree with what Sharif said. Uh, I'm a little bit more choosy in terms of my patient selection. They cannot be smokers. Uh, they have to pass a nicotine test if they admit to smoking uh, before I will operate on them. But I will tell you that that my experience with just primary repair, both in the cuff world and the glute world, is they fail more often than any of us are willing to admit. And if you want to know where all of our failures hide, they hide in the radiology literature. And if you look at the radiology data, our cuffs fail much, much more than we think. Uh, you know, 85% of large to massive cuff tears fail uh, up to 100%. And gluteal tendons in, in the literature is very sparse on this. I will tell you in my hands, a primary pair fails almost 40% of the time. So whether it is Regenitin, whether it is BioBrace, whether it is acellular dermis, whether it's BMAC or PRP, we need to, to take more consideration because what Sharif said is true. The failures are catastrophic. And you're going to take a person who has to be off, off non-weight bearing on crutches for six weeks, 
And then you ask them to do it again a year later because they retore their glute tendon or somebody who's a heavy laborer that can't get back to their job because they retore. I mean, those are my perspectives from my 11 years of doing this in both the hip and the shoulder. Ron, you've had your hand up. Navarro? Really quickly, um, uh, I I just don't know, Scott. If you um, first, I, I want Joe Vaughn's office, uh, but no, uh, I I uh, didn't know if you um, to had any consideration to do a biopsy when you were there. And the very last thing is in your case report, let uh, Ira change it. You got to write a um, an indicated biceps tenodesis and an incidental second look. You led with second look. That's a bad luck. Okay, perfect. Thank you. We can. Uh... Do whatever that Latin thing is to make a change, uh, Ira. So we'll make sure we do that uh, for sure. Um, all right. Hey, Luco, talk to us, man. You've been using any BioBrace down there? We miss you in Boston, by the way. Hey, yeah, Scott. Thanks for the uh, shout out. Uh, yeah, miss you guys in New England as well. Um, I don't miss the snow. Life in Orlando is great. Um, I just put something in the chat, and um, I just wanted to learn from all of you. Um, how come no one's mentioned embodied tapestry? And we've seen, you know, we've heard mention of rhodium and and regenitin and biobrace certainly, but wanted to see if anyone has um, any experience with embodied tapestry. And if not, then how come that's not as popular? What's wrong with it? And what are the differences? And and wanted wanted to also ask. Um, I mean, we heard from Sean and others about when they prefer to use virginitin versus biobrace, but would love to get some other examples uh, based on, not necessarily about clinically what we feel in our hands about strength and what have you, but what's the science out there about what really happens? I can I mean, joke, look, I'll, I'll speak for my, my myself. I, I truly have not used tapestry and embody. Honestly, it's just at the time, you know, biobrace is something I've been a part of and looking at since almost 2018. So that was before tapestry was even on my radar. So I was involved with Kevin before this was on the market, looking at some of the animal stuff and looking at some of the clinical labs. So it became sort of a passion of mine. So once I was on that track mine, it just sort of was something that I, I focused on. Um, I can't tell you anything negative or positive. I just truly haven't used it in my own hands because this has been sort of my focus for the last five years. So I'll echo that. I mean, it might have a similar situation. However, I did use Embody, and I'd like to think I have average hands, and I just struggled with the usability of Embody. It was it was like parchment paper. Once it got wet, it was very difficult to use. And so I just, and then I never really saw any real data on anything with it. I, I know we published with Regenitin uh, back in 2017, looking at some of the biopsies and understanding when it became incorporated. Never really saw anything like that with Embody. I mean, Luke, I'll, I'll chime in and, and just say that I, I had no uh, interest in BioBrace. I didn't develop it. It had no part of it. Uh, I used Regenitin uh, both in the shoulder and the hip. I will tell you that for abductor tendons that are bearing weight, Regenitin simply will not work. I just revised another one of mine uh, on Monday, uh, and it, it is not a uh, collagen structure that, that's able to withstand weight. Uh, even with six weeks of non-weight bearing. Uh, I'll tell you, I went as far as going with uh, rhodium and uh, at the base and acellular derbs at the top in, in, in a way in my mind to try and encompass what BioBrace is now. Uh, but I will tell you that that I think all of us have gone on this journey. I've not even heard of tapestry until today, uh, which is, which is kind of sad because I would have loved to explore it and love to learn a little bit more about it and use it 
uh, and see uh, what its usability is. Uh, but I think that that each graft has an indication for the right patient for the right reasons, be it tendon tissue quality, patient, uh, you know, biomechanical characteristics, tendon quality, the 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 entire encompassment. So uh, that that's kind of my two cents. So, so Ira, I have some Scott, experience with Ira, uh, tapestry and embody both arthroscopic and open. I think for tapestry, it's something that's for using it as a biologics car uh, carrier. It really soaks up the local biologics. Uh, it's not to be used for structural reinforcement. So cuffs, open subscap repair on a total shoulder. Uh, you know, that's what I use for shoulder. I know, you know, other surgeons use it for Achilles tendon and, and quads and other, um, you know, tendinopathies when you repair them. Um, so I think it's it's good. It's got good alignment for fiber regeneration and in line with the graft, uh, but it's usually just for reinforcement uh, for biologics, but not structural. So Scott or Ira, can we take a step back for a second? Because this tonight's about biobrace. So I, I want to help because there's a lot of people on here that may be younger. I know we have a lot of experienced people. It's Kevin speaking. So we have this amazing new technology, and I'd like to take the step back, Scott, as the moderator, if you could, to help, first of all, take us back to, there are lots of different rotator cuff tears and people, and we know, as Sharif said, maybe it's 50%, I think it's 70% of them when they're old fail. They don't necessarily have symptoms, but we know they fail. And now suddenly we have a way to make sure that maybe we always try to solve pain for our patients, I'm sorry for the background noise, but maybe this is a solving of weakness. So not only is this something innovative that really gonna help us because we don't have answers for weakness or maybe not. So I really like to hear more of the science to say, this is what I use because I'm really trying to solve pain weakness, not the re-rupture. I really don't care about the money conversation. That's not for tonight. I really think we we're on to something and they're leading the way that is ConMed. So where is this a thought about pain, weakness, full thickness rotator cuffs, gapping something when you're missing it and you're missing a link? What is the thought, Scott, as you're doing it? Rather than we're throwing so many things out there and I'm listening to other stuff, I really want to focus my brain leaving this um, with those kind of thoughts. Uh, all right, so so first, I think it'll be interesting. I think the literature is, is bearing out that augmentation of rotator cuffs is probably something that we may want to consider doing for every rotator cuff. I think obviously Wait, Scott, we're going to be more convincing of that. So Scott, just, can you, yep, go ahead, can you actually, sorry, I want to stop you on that. Can you yeah. tell me what studies and what percentage increase in full thickness tears actually are improved by augmentation, all things coming? There, there is a study that's coming out of Spain. Everybody knows about it, uh, which is a, the Smith and Nephew study that's coming out. They've been leaking it a uh, little too much, obviously. So it's not through, you know, publication at this point. Uh, but Sharab Shah just actually had a nice meta-analysis taking a look at augmentation, which demonstrated uh, that uh, there was improvement with rotator cuff healing. Uh, I get it. You know, I think that uh, what I would say is, as we move towards understanding this, we need more experience-based medicine, Paul, I agree. The literature is going to have to support this. That's what always everybody says. 
Most of the people on this call that have been using these types of augments are early adopters who are willing to take the chance on this technology towards their patients. Uh, when it comes to this implant in particular, Kevin, which is the BioBrace implant, uh, it does provide the biologic healing, but it also provides strength. I think most of us would agree that uh, rotator cuff disease is both mechanical and biologic. Uh, if we choose to ignore uh, one or both of those things, and our results uh, are going to be limited. And I think that will be bearing out over the future, Paul. But I think you're absolutely right. The literature is behind uh, as we develop these things. And, and the onus is on industry that buys these things for hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to be able to prove to us that it does provide a long-term solution. Uh, so um, and how about, let's get somebody else thrown well, in Well, no, here. wait a yep, minute. So ahead. I'm excited about this. So okay. what I'm not hearing is I don't want to hear about the other stuff. I want to hear specifically because I'm excited that now we have something to try with strength and weakness. And we're, and we're doing this because augmentation for those of us that see the failures. So I'm saying to you for a 40-year-old, is this something also that people out there have tried besides my 70-year-old or whatever it is? on the full thickness. If we just take a full thickness rotator cuff, a small or a medium sized tear to ensure that we have great success for our patients. Uh, have you? So I will, I will speak to my personal patients. My patients are involved in a registry uh, and we have ages up from 35 up to 75. Uh, I think we have approximately 65 patients at this point. Uh, we're following our, our clinical failures. I do not ultrasound every patient like Donnie Buford does because I'm just not sophisticated enough to do that and follow up. Uh, but we do MRI image patients that are not doing well clinically. And I can tell you, I'm doing these in complex rotator cuff repairs, revision rotator cuff repairs, and my overall success rate uh, at this point, which means really clinical failures that have been demonstrated on MRI uh, is upwards of approximately like 88% at this point, which is truly off the charts when it comes to these types of rotator. These are not your next door neighbor, little one centimeter tears that I'm working on with this implant. These are the ones that we all anticipate should fail. That's my personal experience. Anyone else? I'll, I'll tell you that my failure rate with this is about uh, 4%. Uh, so in the registry of those 80 patients, I have 96% success rate utilizing this in all comers. Um, I think one thing that'd be interesting, and, and I give Scott a hard time, he lets his patients do push-ups and pack you. So he doesn't sling them for very long. I, I do. So I think that that may play a role, may not play a role. Maybe Scott's showing us we don't need to immobilize these when they're reinforced because he's on the complete other side of the spectrum when it comes to immobilization. Um, so I, I think that when I look at these and I look at the numbers that are in the literature that are around 50 in all, in all comers, and even um, back to Paul, I know you don't want to, I know Kevin doesn't want to talk about other products, but even at your meeting, Brian Badman showed interpositional grafts in non-interposition who had 50% failure, and those that he had interpositional graft, he had 7% failure rate. So there's something to be said about local biology. There's something to be said about strength. So I think that we we have to be careful, as Scott said, that we are early adopters, many of us using this. And some of us want to keep using antiquated equipment like skin. And I think it's time that we really kind of all work together to, to get good data to really prove how well this works. So <clears throat> a couple of things, everybody, somebody earlier said 
a different graph for a different purpose. When you look at Regenitin, Regenitin really got its original pop dealing with partial thickness rotated cuff tears. So what you were doing is taking a collagen and trying to embellish the collagen by two to three millimeters of thickness. And so at this point, that was rel relatively easily accomplished because you already had the scaffold, the natural scaffold of the body incorporated, adding a, a layer on top of it. And so that gave it its own purpose. Then you go with your uh, the acellular dermal, which can go against the articular surface. So now when you do an interpositional graft and it's gonna rub against the humeral head, that has the ability to at least probably not be as abrasive as some of the other products we're talking about. Now, I, my understanding of BioBrace is it's an augmentation device, meaning you need to have an intact cuff repaired and then put the uh, BioBrace as a supplementation on top of it with the idea that it'll incorporate at some period of time I'm not really aware of the biology and how quickly it happens. So they each have a different place. One could substitute for cuff, which would be off-label. One could augment a cuff repair. Some people have laid down a regenitin on top of a large cuff repair. But as Jovan said, uh, not much structural strength in this setting. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you need some degree of incorporation. Sorry. You need some degree of incorporation occur before uh, before this uh, this actually gives it any potential strength, and it probably again restoring the subacromial space may be part of our our ability here. Why does Mahade have better results than the Americans with an eight millimeter thick graph versus a four millimeter? It may be actually just uh, trying to reproduce the subacromial space as part of its. Uh, its success. I think the BioBrace is exciting. I think uh, part of it is its ease in use. The fact that it's, you put it in and it maintains its its uh, boundaries, so it's easier to put sutures through it and to, to incorporate it into the native tissue. Um, I like the idea that it's bovine because we have had some success with Regenitin. If you've gone back on patients with Regenitin, you see how quickly it does become part of the uh, the native tissue, at least it does visually, it might take a little longer histologically. It also gives it some strength. Uh, there are some parameters here, but it does need, a, as somebody said on the call, it does need some investigation or some reporting, maybe multi-centered, to tell us when it incorporates, when is the physical strength actually part of the shoulder. Um, I don't think it substitutes for uh, rehab programs that go slowly. Uh, the rehabilitation of trying to get the native tendon to do something that you want it to do, this doesn't necessarily take your foot off the gas on that because if you end up with an exposed humeral head, then you have the articular cartilage against your bio brace, which I'm not sure that's the recommendation. So I think we got to do something to allow some degree of healing of the native cuff and then learn a little bit about how does this graft incorporate into the or with the native cough? At what point does it offer some strength? Is it a time zero? Is it uh, six weeks, 12 weeks, uh, six months? I, I'm hoping it's somewhere around six to 12 weeks because that seems to be 
a separate curve in terms of when patients start having some new defects produced in their cuff repairs. So, so, so Jeff, so great points. Um, I would say that uh, Kevin Rocco and the team have done some nice studies on the structural side of things. And I think that you can uh, feel pretty good about having structural support at time zero when you're using your BioBrace implant. So that is unique in the marketplace, no question about it. Donnie Buford, you have your hand up. You're on mute, Don. Still not picking you up. Oop. All right, let's, uh, I wanna hear from Joe Abood. Oop, there we go, you got it? Johnny, you back? No, Siggy, it was me. Uh, go ahead to, to Joe Abood and then- Yeah, uh, Joe, what's the Rothman experience on Augments? What are you guys doing? You guys have any experience with BioBrace? Um, I, have, I have a limited experience myself with BioBrace. Um, I used it in, in open fashion for augmentation of um, subscap. So it's a, really, a, uh, it's anecdotal experience. Uh, I like its, its um, time zero strength and ability to be manipulated, which is uh, important. With all these technologies, I, I think that, you know, delivery mechanism is, 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 is a big factor. Um, you know, time in the OR is, is cost. Um, so I think, you know, you, you saw the, the, um, the adoption of uh, widely over genitin, a lot of it based on, uh, the mechanism for insertion, but also some of it based on the uh, good studies they put forward as a company. I think each company has to try to do that to show us the data. Um, we all, well, not all, but a lot of us on this call are conflicted and we should always discuss our conflicts because obviously that taints the way we view things. So uh, I think that it's great to see all this excitement and technology in, in this, the sphere of revision rotator cuff repair, and the challenges of it. There are many technologies to be explored. I, I think it's hard to endorse one or the, over the other at this point, for sure. So I think the jury's still out. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Don, is your microphone working yet or no? No, we're still no good. You know, what's interesting, I did a, uh, uh, I was at Isicos today and we did a, a surgical demo, a live surgical demo on a cadaver. And uh, fortunately, Bessie lived up to her, uh, lived up to her dreams today. She did really well. But the point I'm trying to make is for those that are concerned about the technical aspects of applying this for an arthroscopic rotator cuff repair, um, there's a lot of great techniques. Sharif has a great technique. Joe Burns has a great technique. Uh, uh, Donnie Buford's been doing something really cool. Sarah Edwards has a great technique. Our technique that I typically utilize is a double row repair. Uh, it's highly reproducible. Uh, we can do the repair in under 30 minutes. Uh, and that's including, you know, the entire aspect of the surgery from beginning to end. So despite the fact from a that there is no delivery system at this point for standard open, I'm sorry, for standard uh, full thickness rotator cuffs. Uh, you, there are techniques that can be done that can be very uh, effective and time, uh, time uh, uh, friendly. Don, you still got your hand up. You good yet or no? I think I'm good. How's that? All right, there we All go. Right. Okay. This is my, my, first, my first Zoom, my bad. Um, yeah, one of the things that's helped me is, is I have a hard time chasing six or 7% success rate in a, in a tear that's under a couple centimeters. And whether you're doing single or double row, you know, if you're, if you're in that lower row, he score or whatever you're using and you're, and you're getting a 93 or 94% healing rate, I have a hard time using any augment on that, even biologic, um, unless it's just absolutely free. 
So, so that's one thing. If I get, I'm a single row guy. So if I go to a second anchor, that's usually my trigger along with some other things, you know, delamination, chronicity of the tear, tendon tissue uh, quality. But, but especially that second anchor is my trigger to start thinking I need to be looking at an augment here. And so that helps me kind of stratify the patient population without going too far into, you know, scoring systems and, and quantification. So those are things that always happen at, at, uh, at the time of surgery. Hey, Don, it's Paul Sethi. You've made so many thoughtful comments on the use of, of, uh, of biologics, whether it's PRP or autologous marrow. And, and at mm -hmm. the last meeting, I, I really enjoyed how you sort of broke it down. Can you share that with us just uh, succinctly? Sure. Um, so, so staying on topic with the cuff, the, the best data that's out there right now, whether you believe it or not, is out of France from Philippe Hernigau. And, and the real key in what he did, there's a couple, couple important points. He drew 120 cc's of marrow, where most of us in this country are only drawing 60. And he put two thirds of his BMC into the bone. So kind of the reverse of the crimson duvet. So he actually put you know, the BMC back into the stem cell bank, if you will. So instead of a crimson duvet, you're getting the whole, you're getting the shams, you're getting the bed sheets, you're getting everything. And so that, that is a unique approach. If you're going to do BMC, I think that's the way to do it. That's the gold standard. Now he showed hundred percent healing at six months and 87% still healed by MRI at a de decade. So uh, Brian Cole tried to reproduce that, didn't get quite the same result, but his protocol was a little bit different. But even in, in Dr. Cole's result, at one year, the tissue quality was better on MRI scan and had fewer revisions. So everything's trending towards biology being an important component. Um, and most of the studies in any of this orthopedic world, having a scaffold with the biology seems to add additional benefits. So I think the two together ultimately will give us the best result. Hey, everyone, to piggyback on that comment about the importance of biologics, I saw a comment earlier by Sandra Baker. Sandra, we haven't met before, but appreciated your comment. And that's about not time zero mechanical strength, but ultimate healing. And for all of these technologies, where I've heard descriptions, you know, talking to Kevin and others, and from other companies as well, about how there's a proprietary pore size into which the patient cells need to crawl into to make the collagen. So it appears that all of these products have the ortho, but not the biologic, right? Because we are still relying on the patient's host cells that are compromised that created the poor healing environment in the first place. Meaning if you are elderly, you have diabetes and you're a smoker, and we have something that shows time zero mechanical strength, but if we have to ultimately rely on their cells to produce either the sufficient quantity or quality of the collagen, we still have an issue with long-term success, don't we? I would agree with that. Yeah, Luke, I think it's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, I think Luke Luke speaks truth. And I think that if there's anything I've learned from this webinar is that this problem of tendon to bone healing is so multifactorial. There are patient issues, there are graft issues, there are everything that Luke brought up, everything that Dr. Abrams brought up uh, in terms of what do we really need out of a graft and how does it actually work? And I think our charge as, as all the surgeons on this call is, is the research part of it uh, because it is, it is almost mind boggling to think, okay, can we isolate out a, a level one study with diabetics versus non-diabetics, same graph, same cuff size, same tear, same tissue quality. It is so multifactorial. It's almost mind blowing. And, and we're just talking about tendon to bone healing in a cuff or a glute or whatever it may be. Uh, so I, I think that that's the, the real take home point for me 
is that this is a problem that needs a solution and that we as surgeons need to team up and, and figure out a way to solve it and investigate it the best we can. So, Jovan, Luke, I think that what we have right now is a race against time. And the race against time is structural integrity versus biology. I think that in my mind, the bio race gives us an advantage in terms of having some immediate structural integrity. I think that the biology question is going to continue to evolve. And I think I would predict five years from now, we'll have a bio race that has bioinductive and bioconductive uh, properties, uh, Don, that will allow us to, you know, to win that race more often. It's not going to be an all or none situation, but I think that right now, time zero structural integrity to let biology work is, is probably our best bet in 2023. If we have this journal club in 2025, I think we'll be talking more about that with bi more biology. Yeah, great, great point, Michael. And I, I think about Paul Sethi's comment early on and, and the conversation about cost, right? Some people said, well, cost doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, you know, the I've yet to have an insurance company say to me that I can't augment a rotator cuff repair at my ASC. What I've heard from my ASC is you can't augment your rotator cuff because it's too expensive. And my ASC could care less about long-term outcomes for any one individual patient. They care about the cost to that ASC. So we need to prove the long-term outcomes that augmentation with this type of a device will reduce the retail re rate, get our patients back to work faster or sooner, um, and then be you know, uh, helping our overall society and contributing so that no matter what, the, the, the Blue Cross Blue Shield says, you're not operating on that patient with this type of tear pattern without using this type of a device. And so we got a long way to go for sure. Uh, so industry has a lot of work to do. Surgeons has a lot of, have a lot of work to do, and we got to make sure we help our patients. Hey, Scott, you know, one of the opportunities is workman's comp. As soon, you know, it, there is an opportunity there to have reimbursement for grafts. And the other thing is what really makes uh, workman's comp listen is re earlier and more likely return to work. And so this is an opportunity to gather some, you know, some reimbursement so your, your companies uh, or your ASCs don't get upset. They could be reimbursed if you try to get the, acknowledge the graft cost ahead of time. And then you, if you can actually show a return to work uh, more likely and earlier, you might be able to gather some data that eventually will creep into the general public world and people will start listening to it. Actually, um, it, it's interesting. I was part of the original Regenitin and certain people around the country would hear about it and actually seek out surgeons that would do it, even if they had to come in and pay for it. At that time, it was a, it was a study. So they actually didn't have to and they got their MRIs even for free. But the truth of the matter is, the problem with um, with some of the gathering data, it's, it's hard to get started. Uh, the workman's comp might turn out to be the population as dissatisfying as it is in some respects. It may turn out to be an easier model to actually show some worth to it. And then the other thing I was just going to say is the problem I'm having with cellular uh, biologics is the fact that I think the cells don't last long enough. They have a short lifespan. And so scaffolds seem to be a better mechanism of at least seeing some results. Now, maybe I, I agree that the combination of the two might be the holy grail, but uh, the scaffold at least is there and doesn't disappear on you so quickly that you lose the positive effect of, uh, of the scaffold. 
I would, I would take it one more step further when it came to the workers' comp. I mean, I'm never crazy about doing workers' comp studies, right? I mean, there's a lot of incentive for these people not to go back to work. But what if we could go to self-insured employers, uh, you know, the big companies of the world, Amazon, Google, et cetera, Raytheon, and say, okay, we're going to develop a bundle for you that's going to include, you know, this, this augment versus not and be able to show the outcomes. And then you're not having the workers' comp issue, but yet you're getting patients potentially back to work faster. So if I were designing a study, that would be the way that I would consider doing it uh, for those self-insured large employees, employers. Scott, Ira here. Um... First of all, I want to apologize to everyone for talking as much as I did during this uh, <laughs> during this uh, part of the body that uh, is uh, necessary uh, to everybody. Um, I just want to uh, make a comment. Um, first of all, um, Joey is very thankful that we have these um, uh, journal clubs sponsored. Um, uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Sharif Bashai for his uh, recent birthday. So happy birthday, Sharif. Happy birthday, Sharif. Thank you. Yeah. Happy birthday. But I also happy birthday. Thank you. So I'd also like to also ask uh Lisa Con Lisa Donnelly to say a couple of words um from from ConMed, who was a gracious sponsor uh to Joey. Our advertisers keep us uh open access uh for everybody and free. Uh so Lisa, if you're available. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Kirschenbaum. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Donnelly. I'm the Vice President of Marketing for ConMed um, Orthopedics. And first of all, thank you for spending the last hour listening to this really very engaging and insightful conversation. And thank you for the panel as well for and the moderator for Dr. Sigmund and you know, just bringing all of this together. And you know, for ConMed, as I listen to the conversation and I realize we are the sponsor this evening, but the discussion around the, the competitive technologies that are out there, we don't shy away from that. In fact, we believe hearing this feedback helps us bring new and improved technologies to allow you to treat your patients even better um, than perhaps you were able to do in the future. We believe, like as um, uh, someone had mentioned, that there are different um, products for different indications. And, and we, you know, clearly that that is true, but we truly believe, and which is why we acquired this technology, is that if you're looking for not just advanced healing with the collagen, but truly in applications that require strength, such as the applications that we were talking this evening, rotate, full thickness rotator cuff repair, glute need repair, Dr. Abood mentioned subscap augmentation. We have thousands of procedures that have been done that we know we're, that we're, we're collecting the patient outcomes. We're seeing very, very uh, positive data um, as we're heading towards now the two-year mark with Dr. Sigmund's data um, for some of the earlier studies. We're committed as a company to continue down this evidence generation path. Um, so you will see us doing um, more and more clinical studies. We are, we are in the process of kicking off three of them uh, just this year, before the end of this year. And, and also, you know, welcome the dialogue. And you know, we have a few minutes left, but I'll say that the for us, you know, we'll be at, for those of you who will be at um, AOSSM, um, which is, you know, just in a couple of weeks, if you want to stop by the booth and, and have another conversation, talk more in depth about our data, about the round of reimbursement questions and other things, we're available. If you want to have, connect to a surgeon that is using BioBrace and the indication that you're looking for, 
please reach out to me for any of these questions and I can put you in touch with um, the right people, even if it's just you would like to be introduced to your area ConMed sales rep. So my email is lisadonley at conmed.com. I'm happy for all 86 people on this webinar to, to email me directly and I will connect you with the person that best will give you the information and answer your question. But um, we're also thank you to Joey. It's been a great partnership. We're looking forward to continue with it. And also, um, and hopefully to see all 86 people on this webinar at OSET in the fall. And now we can talk more in person. So thank you very much. Thanks, Lise. And uh, Scott, um, you did the most uh, heavy lifting on the um, on the um, moderating. So maybe you could uh, bring us home with some final words. Yeah, no, just, just uh, absolutely remarkable and amazing to see this uh, group of uh, remarkable people that wanted to take time out of their busy lives to come and talk about what's so important, which is truly, you know, the evolution of the patient experience and healing and, and getting the best possible outcomes for our, for our patients. So thank you everyone for taking the time out to engage here this evening. I truly enjoyed my time. And of course, to Ira and Joey and Beth Best and Lara, thank you all so much for really putting together an amazing evening. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody.